I bring you greetings from Centerville, Tennessee. I know there are many saints there today praying for us. Um, I appreciate that. I hope you appreciate that as well. Um, If you would, please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. Text today will be Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud voice. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as in heap. He lays up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the heathen to naught. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his hearts to all generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He beholds all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looks upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts alike. He considers all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold... The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Let's pray together. Father, we ask um, today in the name of your son, Jesus, that you would bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word. We ask that you would take this word preached and that you would, um, through hearing, that you would mix it with faith. And you would use this word to shape our hearts to be more and more like Jesus. And we pray all this in his precious name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, you note takers, be at the ready. Jesus promised his disciples three things. Three things. Jesus promised that his disciples would be completely fearless. 
Jesus promised that his disciples would be absurdly happy. Jesus promised that his disciples would be constantly in trouble. G.K. Chesterton. I think he's right. Though when I read through this quote, I have my doubts. Am I completely fearless? Am I absurdly happy? And am I constantly in trouble? As we were reading through Mark, I thought, constantly in trouble. John lost his head, right? That's pretty big trouble. But as I look at this, and this phrase, constantly in trouble, as I, as I mentioned the last time I was here and was preaching, I see a lot of the Psalms as blues songs, right? I made the assertion that David was a blues man. Now, we don't know who wrote today's psalm, but um, this one as well has, has its moments, right? And we even know that we have a whole book of blues besides the psalms called Lamentations, right? Some of you are smiling at me like, um, well, you're smiling at me. But I want to take you to Lamentations uh, chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there with me. In Lamentations chapter 3, starting at verse 18, we read this. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. See, this takes a really strange turn, doesn't it? Especially for a blues song. He is, he's remembering his afflictions. He's remembering his misery. That's classic blues, right? But then it ends with, therefore, I have hope. I think that falls under absurdly happy. But he continues, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. You know the song, right? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. See, in this section of Lamentations, the writer understands that when there is constant trouble, it is actually evidence that the Lord is at work. Amen? Amen? We tend to think when there is trouble that we are doing something wrong, which is a possibility. But often as not, if you walk faithfully, you will suffer persecutions, right? That's, that's the promise that we have. 
So I want to I take you to Psalm 33 here, and I want to look at some of these ideas, this completely fearless and absurdly happy and constantly in trouble. But the psalmist here does something that um, is unusual in the way we tend to make an argument. We tend to want to lay out all the facts and then make our point, right? Well, he starts right at the beginning with his what. What he thinks you should be doing. What he thinks we should be doing. In the first three verses, we read this. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. We are to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And this is how it happens for us. We rejoice in the Lord. I like this word rejoice here. It means to sing or shout for joy. To sing or shout for joy. To produce a song with the voice of joy. Now we uh, reform types, we frozen chosen, we don't tend to shout too much, do we? We don't tend to be loud. We tend to be reserved and quiet. And no offense to your comments earlier, but we, we are decently and in order sitting in our pews, nodding our heads. Amen? Amen. But is this what we're being asked to do? See, this word rejoice is, um, it's, uh, well, it's absurdly happy, right? It is full of gusto. It is full throttled. It is singing at the top of your lungs, whether you sing well or not. Now, the passage says we're supposed to play instruments well. and say anything about singing, right? Because <laughs> if you can't sing, you can't sing, right? I know people that literally cannot sing. They cannot carry a tune. Are they supposed to sing loudly? Absolutely. Absolutely. In 1 Chronicles 16, we read this. And this is, this is in the context of uh, setting up the tabernacle. And this is, this is David. He says, Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of the Lord. This is our word, rejoice. This sing out. Sing out at the presence of the Lord. Because he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. And say ye, save us, O God. Save us, O God, of our salvation. And gather us together and deliver us from the heathen. That we may give thanks to thy holy name and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the God of Israel forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And they praised the Lord. Which brings us to the word praise. And there's a couple of them in this passage, but the first one um, is, is really interesting. It is, it's, it's, um, the root has a couple different meanings. One can mean to praise, to commend, to boast. And there's that loud praising again. And the other one, I like this, the other one can mean to shine, right? Do you remember when Moses was all shiny and the glory of the Lord was on him and he was shining? 
I love this image, right? So the praise there, again, is this idea, praise the Lord, um, and it's, it's, got, it's got volume behind it, right? The people get behind it, and, and there, is, there is volume. I want to read, I want to look at the, the next word here. The, the King James translators use the word comely here. And this is not a word that we use a lot. Um, but the New King James, it translates it kind of using one of the definitions. So it says, rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, and adds the exclamation point. They get it. For praise from the upright is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's fitting, right? It's appropriate for the righteous to praise and in the manner in which we're instructed. It is appropriate for us to praise with volume, okay? We're going to test you on this later. And the next word down here for praise the Lord with harp, we talked about this the last time I was here. It, it means to praise, to give thanks, to confess, even to cast. Remember when we talked about this? Um, but the, the essential meaning here is to praise what is right about God and, and give thanks to his name. But it also has this reference, we talked about um, praise and worship being a warfare. It has this idea behind it of throwing stones or shooting arrows. And I read from Jeremiah 50, which says, Put yourself in array against a Babylon round about, all ye that bend the bow and shoot. That's our word. Shoot at her. Spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. So our loud praise, all right, our loud praise of Jehovah is throwing rocks and shooting arrows at the wicked. All right? And this is why we have to be loud, right? Because we keep the windows shut and people around here can't hear us. So we need to make sure that they, that they hear us. All right. So um, this word shows up again in First Chronicles 16. I just read it. Oh, give... Thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Um, Ezra 3.11, and I read all these last time too, so I'm going to kind of go quickly through them. Um, they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks, there's our word, unto the Lord. By course, right? They lined up. Think about archers, how they would line up, right? For his mercy endures forever towards Israel. And all the people, what did they do? They shouted with a great shout when they praised. This was at the laying of the foundation of the temple. In Psalm 107, this word appears. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Um, I recommended uh, Psalm 107 in its entirety last time. Um, it was your homework assignment. I don't know if you did it or not. You're going to get a second chance here. I'm recommending again. It's fantastic. Um, the, the flow of um, the concepts that come are just great. So I recommend it highly. 
So it, it tells us then that we are, we are to sing a new song, right? And this word, oddly enough, means uh, to sing, right? But this is, this is a word that is tightly associated with le, the Levitical liturgical worship. This singing by course again, right? This lined up as if an army going into battle. So I just, I just love, love this picture. So as, as the writer establishes what we are supposed to be doing, we are supposed to be rejoicing in the Lord. We are supposed to be praising him loudly. That is what we're called to do, right? But then the question is, why? Why do we do that? What causes us to be joyful in our worship, joyful and loud in our praising? And the writer lays all this out, right? So we're going to start at verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment, and the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So why do we praise? What well, says right here, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. And we know that Jesus is the word, right? The word of Jehovah is right, and his works are done in truth. And then this whole next section talks about creation and providence and um, the Lord ruling over the wicked and, and thwarting all their attempts. Right? I mean, it's classic catechism stuff. How does God execute his decrees? Right? Through the works of creation and providence. And you have it listed out right there. But what I like in this section is it says, he loves righteousness and judgment. And then there's this amazing phrase. It says, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of of the Lord. Now this is the word that I've been focusing on these last two sermons and will probably continue to do so for some time. But the word here goodness is hesed. Remember we talked about that last time? And to say it properly it needs to kind of catch in the back of your throat when you're saying it. Somebody could say it now who can do that? Who can do that? There it is. Somebody could do it. Thank you. So this this is um this is a really amazing rich dense word. It's just, you can just continue to open it up and see the, the many facets. And it's, it shows up 249 times in the Old Testament. Half of those in the Psalms. The Psalms is all about Hesed. And this word is translated many different ways because they're just trying to get all those nuances in, right? They translate it as kindness, loving kindness, mercy, goodness as here, faithfulness, love. It displays acts of kindness. It's really a a central feature or central component of God's character. Right? When we think about his character, we think truth and faithfulness and mercy and steadfastness and justice and righteousness 
and goodness. And most of those are within the word hesed, right? But when we're looking at it, we want to, we want to understand that this word is about his faithfulness, his covenantal faithfulness, his covenantal faithfulness, his steadfast love to his people. This is all wrapped up in this word. This is, this is what they're trying to communicate. So what I want to do now is I want all of you to um, maybe grab a pew Bible. And I want to take you over to Psalm 136. Right? Everybody knows what's about to happen. So 136 actually goes through this idea of um, God's mighty acts, right? In creation and in providence. But it's it's a call and response. It's very much the 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 way we do liturgy, right? Is that there's this call and response. God talks, and then the people respond, and God talks, and the people respond. Right? So I'm gonna read the first part of this, and then I want you to read the second part, okay? So Psalm 136. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. That was really good. You guys had you guys had some power there. I was expecting sort of the reformed and his mercy endures forever, right? That was really good. You can do better though. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods. For his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his mercy endures forever. Now, what I like about this is there's a word added here. If you're looking in the Pew Bibles, you can see it. It's italed, right? And that's so that it reads a little better in English. But in Hebrew, it's not there. Okay? And so, what does it say? It says, for his mercy forever. That's it. All right? So, let's try the next section. To him alone does, one, does great things. For his mercy endures forever. To him who by wisdom made the heavens. For his mercy got people doing both now. <laughs> it's all right. To him who laid out the earth above the waters. For his mercy endures forever. To him who made great lights. For his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day. For his mercy endures forever. He goes on and on and he tells Israel's story, right? It's just amazing. Let's skip over here to 23. Verse 23 of Psalm 136. Who remembers us in our lowly state. For his mercy forever. And rescued us from our enemies. For his mercy forever. Who gives food to all flesh. For his mercy forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. For his mercy It's just amazing. Just amazing. So encouraging. So as we move on here, I want to I make a couple points before we get to the end of the passage. All right? So in verse 6, I want you to notice that it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth. And believe it or not, there's, there's, a, 
there's an, uh, an allusion here to the Trinity. You have by the word, Jesus is the word, John 1 tells us that, right? By the word of the Lord, there you have God the Father, were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Now the word breath here is, is really interesting because it can mean spirit, wind, and breath. But the word is often used for the spirit of God or the spirit of the Lord. So when we think about the, the spirit hovering on the water in Genesis, that's this word for breath. This breath brings life. This breath creates. This breath renews us. I want to read from Ezekiel, and this word is all over this passage. And you know this passage, right? Ezekiel 37, 5 through 10. Thus say the Lord God unto these bones, right? The dry bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you. And when you hear this, you need to hear breath, and you need to hear spirit, right? And you need to hear life bringing spirit. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live. And you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied... By the power of the Spirit, right? And as I prophesied, there came a noise. A loud noise even, right? And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon all them, and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. And then he said unto me, prophesy unto That's our word. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. I have a hunch they praised loudly after this event. It's just a hunch. It's not in the text. All right, so that takes us all the way through the uh, works of creation and providence in the passage, and I wanted to get down here to, to the end of the passage and where it talks about his mercy again. It says, behold, verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Did you notice that we've already seen, as we've been working down through this passage, that... It is the Lord's mercy through his providence and through his sovereignty 
that he delivers us from death. And did you even notice in Psalm 136 that it says that he feeds us, right? He keeps them alive in time of famine. He makes us alive and he continues to feed us. It says, look, behold, pay attention. The Lord sees you. He knows what you're going through. He has the remedy. He has the solution. He is the solution. Because he knows our frame. We read that earlier today, didn't we? Right? He knows that we are dust. He knows that we are going to fail. He knows that we're going to sin. He knows our hearts. And yet his promise to us over and over and over again is that he will be faithful. That he is steadfast. That he will keep his covenant. That he will be faithful to his people. It's just amazing. We don't, we don't tend to operate like that. We don't tend to extend that kind of mercy and grace to somebody when we know that they're going to fail us. Right? Because you were, you were saying earlier that we, we think we're the center of the universe, which is not really true. We know we're the center of the universe. And so why would they do that to me? Right? Because people don't do that to me. It's, it's not right. Even as the Lord was getting ready to send his people into captivity for their sin. And these were not light sins. Um, Israel was charged with um, idolatry and adultery. And these were both capital crimes, right? And God gets ready to send them away to captivity. He's like, you want idol worshiping? We can do that. You know, he, he put them in a land of idol worshipers and... How, how, do you, how do you like that? But when he's doing that, when he's telling them that he is going to send them away, he also promises in his mercy that he's going to bring them back. Because he is faithful. Even when, or especially, when we are not. You know those you know those sins in your life that you don't want anybody else to know about? I might be the only one who has those kind. But I suspect that's not true. You know the ones that you would just be absolutely horrified if somebody found out. The Lord sees us, right? And he's not happy with us when we sin. 
And he chastises us because he loves us. But he's going to breathe that breath of life back into us when we die from our sin. It says here that he will deliver their soul from death, right? This word soul has a lot of different elements to it, but it can even mean breath. It's your spirit, your whole being, right? Your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's your your whole being that your sin causes you to, to die, right? It takes you off to Babylon, whether you want to go there or not. And the Lord, through all that, keeps you alive. I don't remember if I said this last time, but I'm going to throw it out here because it's just such a beautiful picture. Um, And this is um, something I heard N.D. Wilson say. He's talking about God and creation and, and the work of the Spirit. And he says, you know, God created dirt. And then he took man and he formed man out of the dirt, right? But he has this really great phrase. He says, you know, God took the dirt and muddied it with his breath. He, with his breath, he made that dirt come alive. Just like we read about the dry bones, right? Just when our soul is dying, you know, the, the Psalms talks about our bones being dry. But God, like a A a well springing up refreshes us, right? And heals all of our broken bones. And as we think about this idea of mercy from the Old Testament, this steadfastness, this undying covenant love, I have to think of Ephesians chapter 2, where it brings in this concept, right? And you hath he quickened, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations, the way we lived, In times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And then the most powerful statement in all the Bible, right? You know what it is? But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, For his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins. He has quickened us together with Christ. He breathes the breath of life into us. By grace you are saved. And he has raised us up together, right? He has raised us from the dead. And made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness 
through us, towards us, through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved, through faith. And that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. This God that we read about in the Old Covenant, who is faithful when his people are not, who loves his people when they don't love him, who walk in sin asking for the curse when they should be walking in obedience looking for the blessings. He says, even when you were like that, I called you back to myself. I made a way for you to be faithful. And we all know what that is, right? It's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of His Son that is taken and applied to us And our sin is taken away from us and applied to Jesus. That sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. Because Jesus was faithful. And so now, here we stand. Right? And based on the promises of His Word the historical record both in Scripture, ancient history, our own personal lives, and the current reality that we are not consumed. We are called to wait and to hope and to trust. Our soul waits for the Lord. Verse 20. He is our help. He is the perfect helper for us. That's the same word that was used for Eve in regards to Adam. Perfectly suited for us. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. In Romans it says that God's Spirit confirms with us, with our spirit, that we are His children. Right? And that's that's what we have going on here. We have this idea, the, one of the elements of hesed, this covenantal faithfulness, is it can only take place in relationship. And that's sort of this outer ring, right? But then the, the real core of the concept is that covenantal faithfulness can really only take place in the family. Interestingly enough, when I read from Lamentations, where it talks about hesed, it's talking about this familial, covenantal 
love and kindness. But then it uses the word compassion, right? Which actually at its core has the concept of womb. A common birth. We are children in a family, right? We have a mother and a father. And mercy be upon the Israel of God, right? And the church is the mother of us all. You see, we're family. I'll get into this more the next time I come down here and preach, but when we take this concept of hesed and how God treats us and how he is faithful when we are not and he is merciful and he is kind and he is steadfast. That's how we're supposed to treat each other. I like that this passage ends oh I forgot there's another one here. There's another word here for rejoice in this, in this section. It's in verse 21. And it means to be joyful, to be glad, to be agitated in rejoicing. This is a loud, boisterous rejoicing, remember where we started? And this one has a really interesting element of your rejoicing should be in such a manner that it begins to gather others up around you to join you in the rejoicing. Remember they were gathered by courses? The bones all stood up as an army. The Levitical singers stand and sing together. It, is, it almost has um, the aspect, I have to be careful with this one, but it's actually used in scripture this way. When it talks about wine gladdening your heart, right? And you get, you feel the wine in your system, right? And you're like, you want to link arms with your buddies and sing loudly, right? That's what this is talking about. This is how we're supposed to react. This is how we're supposed to know in hope and confidence that the Lord is going before us, right? And that we, we ride on his curtails of faithfulness. That is joyful. Amen? Thank you. But I like that this passage ends with a prayer. Really interesting song. That it starts in telling us that we should sing. And then it tells us why we should sing. And then it ends with a prayer that we, that we will. Right? Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. Oh, Lord, let your mercy be upon us. Let, let it just define us. Let it weight us down, right? That, the concept of glory is heavy, right? Let that heaviness of his faithfulness weight us down so that it is ever-present. So that's really the end of the passage. But this is where I do my little... A little commercial. Um, I would ask you, I don't want to see a show of hands here, but I would ask you if maybe your family worship is maybe not as vibrant as you would like it to be. Um, 
Maybe you've been spending too much time on heady doctrine, which I love heady doctrine, but sometimes we just need the gospel, right? We need to know that our sins are forgiven. I highly recommend the Psalms for family worship. Um, I think we pushed out a psalm reading chart. I don't know if you guys are doing that. Is anybody here doing like the daily psalm reading? One. Good. I would encourage you to do that in the mornings. Um, and then I'm really, this, I'm going to double down on this one. I've probably mentioned this on Slack. Um, there's an old um, writer. His name is, he was a preacher. His name is uh, Robert Hawker. All right. And he was, he is before Spurgeon. All right. And if you go and you read Hawker, you're going to realize that Spurgeon is definitely downstream from Hawker. Spurgeon may be borrowing heavily from, from Hawker. All right, so I highly recommend him. And this is how he ends his commentary on this psalm. And his commentary is called uh, the poor man's commentary. And Spurgeon said, if you can only have one, get that one. And this is what he says about this passage. He says, let every justified soul rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. For surely the rich redemption of Jesus is enough to fill all hearts that are the partakers of it with praise. But my soul, exclamation point, he uses a lot of them. What hast thou learned of this sacred and hallowed song? Can thou go over the several parts of it with an eye to thine own interest in it and make the responses as you go along? from a real, heartfelt, and personal enjoyment of it? Can you sing indeed of creation? For the Lord in mercy has called you into existence. Can you testify, as this psalm of praise records, that by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by his Spirit has he garnished the heavens? Can you sing of his providence also? For his counsel must stand. And the Lord will perform all his will. Can you sing of grace no less? Because thou hast seen how the Lord led out Israel, blessed him as a nation, and chose him as a people for his own inheritance. But my soul... Though these subjects are blessed aids to call forth hymns of continual praise, the question is, what part do you bear in it? If, as this psalm records, the Lord looks from heaven and beholds all the sons of men, If the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him and upon them that hope in Jesus, the mercy promised, hast thou a well-grounded hope and assurance that His eye is upon thee in grace because you are hoping in Jesus? Pause, my soul! Are you acquainted with God's mercy in Christ? Has he delivered your soul from spiritual death in having found a ransom for you to keep you from going down to the pit? 
Has he kept you alive in famine, both before you knew him in grace and now in the numberless instances since you have known him in mercy? When your fears have been alive and thy dying hopes from unbelief and the temptations of the enemy? Oh, then, my soul, if these things be so, can you set to thy seal that God is true? Look up to Jesus. Look up to thy God and Father in him. And under the continued influences of the Holy Ghost, daily, hourly, adopt this sweet prayer of faith. And tell thy God that thy hope is in him. And never can any wait long for his blessing who live upon Jesus' mercy. See, Lord, my expectation is alone in Jesus. And therefore, Jesus, be thou with me and upon me according as my hope is in you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning uh, for your word. We are amazed um, by your grace. We are humbled by your mercy. Father, we pray that we will uh, see with the eyes of faith your mercy in nearly every passage uh, that we read, in nearly every moment that we live, in every breath, that we take. May we see your steadfast covenantal love for us. May our hearts be tuned to your heart. May our spirit be in tune with your spirit. And as we prayed earlier, we ask that you will take this word, that you will mix it with faith, and that you will use it to conform us more and more into the image of your Son. And we ask all this in his name.